Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday the 30th of April. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, Digger jumped on to talk about his favourite gardens to soak up autumn in Melbourne and Jez told us about the perils of getting her whizzy out. It was an absolute treat to welcome as our guest Declan Ferber-Gillick uh, to chat to him about his yarn at the Arts Centre, Big House Dreaming. Laura Dunneman, Triple R's royal correspondent, gave us all the uh, the royal goss over the last year and we talked prangs. <laughs> Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your pants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about dirt? Dick. (laughs) Dick is here uh, to get down and dirty with us on Breakfast. Morning, Digger. Morning, all. How are we? Good, Good, thank you. Keeping warm. It's a bit fresh. It's it is. frosty this morning. <laughs> mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful time to get out there. As you can see, I'm still in the <laughs> That's right. Yeah, take <laughs> You're in a nice warm house. Yeah, I'm in a nice warm house, but I'll, I'll brave it. Um, so, yeah, this time of year to maybe brave it a little bit and get out and see some magnificent, majestic gardens. There's mm. some beautiful gardens that really hit their peak in autumn. So you've got to get out there. Have anyone been doing any garden tours? No, I've, I've been running around the botanical gardens and then after ah. I've finished, walk through to get a coffee. Ooh. Yeah, it's a real treat. <laughs> I, I was in, yeah, go, go, go for sorry. It, no, I was just in the Royal Botanical Gardens. I've, you know, the, mm. I think Cranbourn has popped up on my radar. Yeah. I, I don't know the difference between a garden and a park sometimes. I was in Westgate mm-hmm. Park. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't really need to. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really should think, look at that definition myself. But anyway doesn't matter where you are as long as you're out in it and vibing it you know because it's, it's this beautiful time of year beautiful light beautiful crisp air some beautiful colors so i do want to get into talk about um three gardens in particular that i reckon are worth seeing but there's a backstory to these three gardens so are you familiar with the diggers club yes yes mm-hmm. and that's not my club that's you know there's a million people in that club but I'm, i spell it differently i spell mine with a but the diggers club the seed company yeah mm-hmm yeah, and have any of you been down to Heronswood, their base? No. Yeah, in Dramana? Yeah, Heronswood is in Dramana. It's up on top of Arthur's Seat. Magnificent, um, beautiful historic home and the gardens surrounding them. But so the Diggers Club is you know, quite large, about 80,000 members uh, around Australia at the moment. And so it's where you can buy your heirloom seed stock and other various other plants. So Clive and Penny Blazy who um, started the Diggers Club in 1983 down at Heronswood, have always been, you know, lovers of heirloom varieties and, and um, really keen lovers of the history of gardens and the history of plants. So over time, they've developed relationships with other gardeners and other gardens around Victoria. And to cut a long story short, they started up the, the Diggers Foundation uh, in about, uh, I think that was about in 2011. And so what they've done... There's two other major gardens. In 1996, the Garden of St Earth in Blackwood came up for sale. It's a, it's a very famous Tommy Garnet garden. Um, deep in the forest there, beautiful little timber cottage and these just, you know, garden rooms of big trees and orchards and all different sorts of stuff. So Clive and Penny Blazy from the Diggers Club bought the Garden of St Earth back then and have held on to it and have cared for it and looked after it. But earlier this month, um, you got Jeremy and Valerie Francis, who are the creators and owners of Cloud Hill Garden, a very famous formal garden up in Olinda. Also then signed contracts with the Blazy Foundation to at you know at the end of their at their retirement that they will be handing Cloud Hill Garden over to the Diggers Foundation as well. Cool. So here we have three very significant, um, very old, mature, magnificent gardens that will be held in perpetuity for from the Diggers Foundation for the people of Australia to enjoy forever and will never be sold off and never be built on oh, wow. and will just remain magnificent gardens that we get to view, which is incredible. Wow, that's so looks after them. So they will be they'll be the Diggers Foundation will employ gardeners. So at the moment, you know, uh, Jerry, Jeremy and Valerie still maintain Cloud Hill. Um, and Gardeners and Earth has um, gardeners that still maintain it, and that will go on forever. So 
you know, knowing Clive and Penny and, and the way that they like to operate, it'll, they'll be great training grounds for horticulturalists in the future. So tell us about the gut of St Earth and what we would do to, you know, what, what does it offer you and what, what does it offer punters? So the beauty of those three very important gardens is that they're in different climatic regions. So if if you go back on iView, it actually featured on Gardening Australia last weekend. So if you want to actually see it before you go up there, you get to see it there. But because it's in um, the high country, so it's in you know the highlands of Victoria, um, in Blackwood, it's very chilly, and it's in this deep dark forest. So it's actually really majestic. It's really kind of it's a little bit spooky. But on, on a good in a good way. It's it's like you catch it on a beautiful day and the mist is in through it and there's flowers popping up everywhere. So Garden of St Earth, you have elements of historic trees, you have berry rose, you have espalier orchards, you have perennial borders, it's got lots of different rooms. But it's also got the opportunity you can glamp there. They've got oh. these eight glamping tents that you can literally glamp inside this majestic garden. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So it's kind of like the, the, you know, the deep in the forest kind of version of all these three gardens. And it's actually quite, yeah, it's really quaint and a little bit more rustic. So if you like rustic kind of gardens, the Garden of St Earth is for you. And it's only like not even an hour and a half out of town, depending yeah. on where you live. Like if you live in Sunbury, it's, you know, 30 minutes. So Garden of St Earth is kind of like the rustic, cute, um, perennial slash foodie garden of the three. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Cloud Hill, which is the big, beautiful, highly manicured, highly designed, kind of like the formal option of the three, but it has lots of different garden rooms. So you can see, you know, Asian-style gardens, classic European cottage gardens, meadow gardens, perennial clipped border formal gardens, all different sorts of stuff. Um, I highly recommend even now, you know, during the next track, just to jump on Google and just look at the images of, of Cloud Hill Garden through the seasons. So it's renowned for having very distinctive um, features in each season. The garden's massive, but each season there's one sort of portion of the garden that's highlighted and comes becomes the hero of, of the visit. So really amazing, amazing garden. And then, of course, Heronswood, so the original up on Germana. So being the base of of the Diggers Club, it's got a lot of, you know, the house is very classic. So there's a lot of formal, like, French Partier kind of style gardens, but the plants are all edibles, mm-hmm. and that's the weird part. So it's showing you how to do high design in landscaping, but using vegetables as the colour and the texture, and that they are very ornamental in their own right, but just aren't used ornamentally. Mm. So, yeah, so much to do. Yeah. So much to do. Um, I don't... You know, I'm obviously – I don't care about this. I'm just asking for other people. Um, <laughs> Heronswood has a cafe and you get a cup of tea as well. What, what about the other two? Is everything that you want in the garden tour, you want to get a coffee, you've got it. You've got to want to do some shopping, buy some seeds and some plants because you're going to buy them. And that's the thing about these gardens is they stock the plants that are in there because it's inevitable you're going to say, what is that? I want one. And then on the way out, as you go past the cafe and the shop, you'll be able to purchase one. Mm. So – Take picnic blankets, yes, you can get your coffees and whatever there and just go into these magnificent gardens and literally don't fly through them. Allow yourself some time just to sit in them and feel them. That's a lot of the stuff that people don't take the time. They just run around really quickly and don't just stop in a spot that's really quiet. Feel the garden. They've all got their own unique kind of vibe to them. Um, Smell the gardens. Listen to the gardens. Enjoy them because, you know, it takes a long time. These gardens are decades and decades and decades old. You don't get that opportunity all the time to sit into in a garden, you know, that's over 50 years old. So um, look at design ideas, explore them, and just take the time to appreciate how long they've taken to make and that the fact that for generations to come, everyone will be able to enjoy them which is a really amazing thing that the Diggers Foundation have done. Wow. How often do you get there? So I was, um, if you look at Cloud Hill, I actually got engaged at Cloud Hill a couple of years ago. Aww. If you look at the pictures, there's a two little chairs in a lawn with a big edge behind it. I got engaged in that spot. Aww. That was two years ago. We're at the Gardens of Earth less than a month ago. Um, and Heronswood, we were down the peninsula uh, late last year. So... We try and get there all the time. Garden of Earth is my favourite. I'm a little bit rustic, a little bit deep in the mm. deep in the forest kind of guy. Yeah. Mm. 
and it's just the way it's laid out and the way that it's set out, it's a wonderful little walk and there's surprises everywhere. So. And do they know you there? When you rock up, um, you're like, oh, digger. No, I, I don't walk in and say, hey, I'm Digger, this is my foundation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Clive and Penny? Are they always there? Um, well, they, they actually you know, live down at um, – they used to live at Heronswood. Now they live in Northcote. So, um, no, you don't see them around a, a lot. They're, they're always busy running the foundation now. So. Yeah. so they're like the Richard and Jeannie Pratt of gardens now. Yeah, step away. Yeah, well, well, they, they don't own it. They bequested it. So the Blazy family have bequested all of it. Even the profits of the dig, the Diggers Club Seed Company, go to the foundation. When they bequested the Diggers Club to the foundation, that was a fifteen dollar, fifteen million dollar bequestment. So, you know, it's it's a and then the, the value. Well, could you put a value on these three gardens? They don't own any of it. It's all going to go to the foundation, which is incredibly generous and just goes to show that you know, their love of gardens. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cloud Hill, St Earth and Heronswood and check out where Digger got what engaged. <laughs> and she said yes. Yeah. Well, she asked me. Anyway, long story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Do that next time. Uh, brilliant. All right. Fascinating. Thanks heaps, Digger. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Triple R. What have you been up to? You've been rubbing coconut oil on yourself or something? What's going on? What does that smell? <laughs> it's dry shampoo. I have to go to work soon. So oh, to... <laughs> just spray it in. There's a bit of coconut in the studio. Don't talk Ooh. about what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret. Behind the scenes of breakfasts on a Monday morning. Um, anyway, I, it's, that smells nice. And it's also it's comforting as well. It's like, oh, I do oh, have... Oh, it's like... coming over here now. Oh, you got it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can buy some of your hair. <laughs> spray all your hair. Yeah. It's like, oh, I do have a sense of smell. I'm so <laughs> yes. um, I um, uh, anyway, it's good to be good to be back. Had a, had a few days off last week. Um, unexpected. Was not planning on taking those days off. I'll be perfectly mm. honest. Um, so I had um, I mentioned on the show. It must have been Tuesday or Wednesday morning where I mentioned that I had a pain. My wisdom teeth. One of them had had already come through, but it was like, oh, that's a bit sore. Mm. And then I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time to get any whizzies out. I've got time for this. And then so it was giving me a bit of anxiety. And I think, Mon, you said you're just anxious about getting I'm like, yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I thought, well, maybe the first – okay, the first step is I will make – I will go and see a dentist and – Start the process of getting them out. Because I've been through that before, been to the dentist and they go, oh, yeah, take an X-ray and here's a referral and Mm. all that kind of jazz. And Mm. I thought, well, if I do that, then we'll get it going. And there's a dentist just around the corner from from my home and I was like, oh, that's very convenient. So I called them and then... um, they were like, oh, we're pretty chockers, but, you know, the reception is so lovely. And she was like, oh, just... um, I'll just chat to the dentist and I'll call you back. And she said, you can come in and it's like 11 o'clock. She was like, you can say you were like 10 past 11, you are able to get here? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I got there. She goes, geez, that was quick. I'm like, I literally live around the corner. Mm. She goes, oh, great. So went in and, um, and I, and you know, he's, dentist has a, has a look in there and it's, oh my God, it was so painful. It was so mm. sore. And obviously, obviously you had to, pull, you know, open things up and just get a good look. And that was painful enough as it was. And then he, you know, because I said, oh, I just don't really have time to, you know, get this sorted. Like I know I need to get them out, but I just, it's finding the time to do it. Um, And he was like, okay, cool. And he had a look and he went, okay, so we'll just cut away um, the gum. And then I went, what? (laughs) And then... I stopped him and I said, do you mean now? And he went, yeah, it's infected. It needs Gee. to come out now. And I was like, I don't, I don't have time. Not ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready. I said, what's the, how long, what's the recovery? Um, you know, what, how long does it take to recover from something like this? And he says, oh, it's two to three days. And I'm like, just calculating in my head, just going, how am I going to do this? And I was just like, okay, so I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do radio. This is Wednesday morning. This is Wednesday morning, and then it was like I had, um, I had 
a gig that night. I was doing Comedy Festival Roadshow. I had a gig in Warburton that night and I had a gig in mm. Bayswater the next night. Friday I was flying to Sydney to do my show and then Saturday was doing the show at the Comedy Theatre and I'm like, two to three days, I can't... I'm like, I just... I have to... I'm, and I'm just sitting there and he's like... And then he says... Why are you crying? <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, I'm just stressed. I'm very, very stressed. <laughs> and because, and, and I mean, he didn't mean it in that way. He was just like, I'm sorry. I just is it because of the pain, or are you? I said, mm. I'm, I'm just really anxious. I'm like, I don't like the dentist at the best of times. I'm really nervous, and I don't, you know. And he was like, it really needs to come out. And then he's like, I could send you down to the down to the because normally like I get the gas when I'm getting the teeth cleaned mm. and so he was like um I could send you give you a prescription and send you the chemist to get a Valium but then we'd have to wait an hour for that to kick in and it really you know it needs to come out and I was like I, I just need to just and he goes just you know I said I've got to make these phone calls and he goes just wait out there and um, so I just went back to the reception and I just stood out on the street and just like calling my manager going, I can't do these gigs and, you know, my toe's got to come out and then, um, so, and then called, you know, called back and, and stuff and, you know, obviously, so obviously, you know, got it all, all sorted and then, you know, went back in and they're like, okay, so, um, and got a, you know, just a oh man it was the most horrific thing <laughs> it was just mm. so traumatizing just that and especially after hearing your story about them getting the local anesthetic and getting it in the wrong place mm. and I'm like and and just having that needle in the back of your mouth and you're just like oh and then doing that and then moving again and then He's opening up and I'm just crying the whole time but he had two really lovely um women assistants, these two Indian women that just gently rubbed my shoulders, just stood on each side and one would, they were just the most delicately rubbing my shoulders and just having a tissue and just wiping the tears, (laughs) just streaming down the side of my face, just going, oh. And then, and he starts, he gets in, he goes, oh, no, you'll, you know, you'll feel pressure, but you won't feel any pain. And I'm just like, okay, I'm just crying the whole time. And he starts and he goes, do you want me to tell me, do you want me to explain what I'm doing? I'm like, no, (laughs) no, just go. And then it wasn't like, like I could feel, it was just like, oh, it's excruciating. Mm. Not the pain, but just the whole experience. The whole experience. And then at the end having, because it got stitches and just feeling that thread Mm. coming out of my mouth and him, it was so long and I could just feel it. I was just like, this is, I don't want to be here. And then he was just, and then it was was so quick. And that was the redeeming, like, like when he, when he was, I could feel the thread. I was like, part of me was like, I think that means that it's done. Mm. Like it must, surely that means it's done. And he kind of, you know, you know, 30 seconds later, he goes, okay, that's it. We're all done. And then it was just a relief. And I just sobbed. I just sat there crying. And he goes, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm just, he goes, why are you crying? Just like, I'm just really, it doesn't matter. As long as you're overwhelmed and I don't need a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, um, you know, went out to the receptionist and just, you know, um, and she's giving me the information on how to care for it and the follow-up appointment and all that kind of stuff. And and I'll just, you know, just give me tissues and stuff. And I'm just like, oh. Um, and it's just like miserable, you know, left. And then um, – and even the next day, um, she the reception was so lovely because she called me the next day and was like, I just I just wanted to check up because you, you were in a right state mm. and um, – I just I was been thinking about you, and I thought I'll give you a bit of time, and just wanted to check up on you and see if you're okay. And I'm like, I'm okay now. I think it was also, you know, just the time. Obviously, it, there's the trauma of it. Was the timing of it? I was so worried about um, missing out on, you know, some of the biggest gigs of my career to date, um, and it just, you know, it threw things out. Um, 
somewhat. So, Did you regret at any point going in and saying, just stiff up a little bit? Till the end of the weekend, I was so, when I was sitting in there, and I um, had to go back out to reception to make the phone calls to you know explain that I couldn't come into work and couldn't do these gigs. There was a brief moment where I just went, just leave, do a runner, oh yeah, <laughs> just leave. I'm not a dentist, yeah, and see, just work something else out because this is. But then at the same time, it was like the timing. You know, it kind of worked out perfectly mm. because I did get to do everything that I wanted to do. I mean, obviously, I, I missed out on gigs. I missed out on, you know, coming into work. But um, but for that to happen like a week before, mm. like to cancel shows during the festival mm. and stuff, like that's yeah. what management were like, like, you're so lucky this didn't happen last week and stuff. But I was like, yeah, but next week would have been – would have been, I've got nothing on for the next four yeah. days. That would have been – Perfect. So the Sydney show was Friday night? Yeah. How did you go then? That's only two days later, opening your mouth. It was fine and I had Panadine Fort, so... Okay. Yeah. Sydney got a different show. Yeah. <laughs> Are you on track to being able to eat a roll? <gasps> to eat a roll? Well, you yeah. said you couldn't fit a roll in your mouth. Yeah, it was... Oh, yeah, it was... I couldn't open my mouth properly. That's right. That's how much pain I was in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, mate, I'm... Yeah, you're on I'm, track. From... I'm on track. I'm at, I'm at that stage of just eating on on one one side of my mouth, and you know, a couple of couple of days of just soup and yogurt. Oh, <laughs> drop a couple of kilos. <laughs> win win. Triple R. Declan Ferbergillick is a multidisciplinary artist and Triple R broadcaster whose first play, The Great Emu War, received a stage reading at Melbourne Theatre Company where he's currently a writer in residence. His multi-award winning yarn, Big House Dreaming, is being staged at the Arts Centre as part of the Yerimboy First Nations Arts Festival. To tell us about it, the writer and performer joins us now. Declan, welcome back to Breakfasters. What's cracking like and folks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks for having me. Oh, God, Good to be pleasure. back in the studio. Yeah. Uh, tell us, introduce those of us who aren't familiar to Big House Dreaming. Sure. So Big House Dreaming is a, a play that I wrote uh, in 2018 for um, Fringe Festival. Um, I was supported by Deadly Fringe, which is a, a collaborative effort by Ilbidri and Fringe to support uh, emerging First Nations artists. So I was lucky enough to uh, get a little bit of money. At, at the time, it seemed like a lot of money. Now it doesn't seem that much money, now that I understand how theatre kind of works. <laughs> but, yeah, I worked with um, a very dear friend and collaborator, Mark Wilson, to make uh, what originally was going to be a one-man show. Um, and through rehearsal and some decisions, it, it became a, a small ensemble show with two other cast members. But it's 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 basically, in terms of like the thematics and the story itself, um, it's a work that came out of um, me having lived and worked uh, at home for a few a few seasons, I suppose you'd say, like um, sort of a few cycles of work up at um, Aboriginal Legal Aid in Central Australia, um, which was formerly called Carlos. It's now called Naja, but sort of it's a bit by the by. But I was living up there when um, the Dondale uh, investigation on Four Corners aired in 2016. But, um, people probably remember, may remember, listeners might know the episode was called um, Australia Shame and it was a kind of a pretty hard-hitting kind of investigation into um, some of the things that were happening to our young people in the in the youth justice system and um, it was that sort of it was a real kind of as a piece of journalism it was a real kind of wake-up call for people um, I was working in that environment at that time and um, and that's where I'm from from Central Australia I'm Aranda man on my father's side so um, yeah, I I was I was there and I and I was living through that and I was working in that and absorbing a lot of the issues and ideas and having grown up in Alice Springs, I've, I've lived in that environment sort of my whole life anyway. Um, and yeah, and then I I, I then did some did some writing uh, training as a writer in the next few years and started making theatre and in 20, 2018 I had this opportunity to make a show and I thought I've I've kind of been percolating some of these issues for a while and I think I want to make a piece of work and. Um, it just, it just, the show just was kind of, it was really blessed from the beginning. It just, it caught the wind and we had some really fantastic support and help from Ilbidri and Deadly Fringe and, um, and Fringe Festival, but also just from, um, people within the community and other theatre makers. And, um, we had an incredible venue and, um, and the, the show just, the show just kind of, um, it just did really well. We sold out and it won, it won awards and we've, we've since, Two of the work, so I don't know. Anyone who makes theatre knows that to 
to for an indie show are made on such a low budget to have more than one season, let alone a tour, is um, is a pretty incredible um, privilege and an honour. So, um, and now we're on at at, at the Arts Centre, which um, is going to be the biggest stage uh, and the biggest venue this show's been on at. And you know, for, for this kind of work, it's just about how many audience members can we hit? How many how many schools can we get in to talk about this story to? How many new people can we can we shed some light to? Because um, you know, sadly, as um, as listeners will know, these issues aren't going anywhere, um, and they they're just kind of getting more and more urgent and more and more in people's faces every day. And within our communities, in the Aboriginal communities, we know this is um, this is uh, this is an increasingly kind of crucial moment of crisis for us on a national scale and um i just hope to to keep that to keep the kind of critical critical debate and critical um popular kind of um thought and thinking and 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 discussion process live and um you know provide some analysis for the for the world out of which this story comes <laughs> talk to us about the process of um you know from being within all of that and then having to step away from it and kind of look at it from a theatrical point of view and think how do i you know put this on stage yeah it's a really good question and i think like you know i think as a writer in the in the process of of generating the the original kind of first draft or you know the the preliminary material it doesn't help to sort of ask those big 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 picture questions like how shall i you know do this you know how will i have the desired effect how will i tell this story it's for me at least for my for my writing process when i'm writing it's just about getting on the page and it's just about stacking up pages and pages of text um and then sort of from and and you know that often will start with voice or it might start with a sound or it might start with a quote or it might start with it's very it's a very language play so like you know part of what the play does is look at bureaucracy and and bureaucracy is woven into and embedded into language and so there's long monologues from um, youth court magistrates you know and that's all language that I absorbed at the time and so I really approached this writing from going what are the remnants of the of the language, whether it's technical language or whether it's slang or whether it's bits and pieces of aranda mixed into um, mixed into English, which is what you hear all around town in Alice. So, it, for me, it was a it was a language play out of which characters and voice grew, and then structure kind of came. I like to think that with my writing, I try to approach it so that structure structure and form emerges from the material itself. So I don't I don't go in with a structure and try to write to that structure. Things can become quite contrived so i sort of went here's how the here's how here's how the story is coming to me it's in my body in terms of sound and and language and detail and then with the help of collaborator mark wilson and you know as a director and as a dramaturg we kind of we shape it from there but i mean another another thing about stepping away is that this is a really difficult work to make because every time i perform it i'm in that world and there are people in the play characters one of the one of the themes of the play is this idea of who can leave and who can't leave that world. You know, there's this, there's social workers and there are lawyers who can kind of come and go from that world. And you know, people living in struggling in community contexts know this this experience of like, oh, he he can come and go. He can get you know a modest wage and 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 do a good thing in the world and then move on with his experience to something else. Whereas like people who are living in the community and don't have that kind of social mobility to be able to come and go from that lived experience. And that's a really hard part of the play for me is that. You know, a couple of these characters can never leave that world, while some others can, and and that's what the kind of that's what the work I hope kind of draws people's attention to is this 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 stuckness that people have. Um, Do you yeah. mean like the idea that um, you know when the news gets too heavy, we can just stop reading the news? Um, uh, I sort of mean that, but but less less so with this play. This play is very much a placed play. It's a very geogra- geographical play, and it's you know it, it looks at it looks at class and, and social mobility mm. in terms of geography and distance and space. You know, if you've been to Alice Springs, people know it's a very long way away, and people make that trip, but not everyone can afford to make that trip or can afford to leave that place. And so, mm. people who are you know, it's it's less about the news cycle and it's more about. Um, living in a place that is hostile to your growth and not having the choice to be able to then go and um, oh, train or educate yourself out of that necessarily, you know? Yeah. Uh, Chris in Big House Dreaming has rap aspirations. Is there music in the show? Is Chris a talent in your opinion? 
Oh, Chris is very talented. Chris is extremely talented. Yeah, Chris. Chris is. Chris um, loves Biggie Smalls. Um, he idolizes Biggie Smalls. He actually has the same name as Biggie. His mum called him Chris Wallace, and she didn't even know that was Biggie's real name. And that's how he knows that he's going to blow up. So, yeah, Chris is in there. Um, and. What was the rest of the question? Oh no, I was wondering about if there's music in the show. Oh, or... there's music. Yeah, so it's not a, like it's not a it's not a it's not a rap gig. You know, it's not a performance, but it it has music uh, woven throughout. Um, Mark Cole Smith, who's a f- brilliant actor, uh, is also a sound designer, and he worked with myself and Mark to um, design the, the music and the soundscape for the show for this version of the show. Um, and there's yeah, audiences can expect. Uh, rap, music, beats, um, boom bap, classic rap from the mm. 90s, that sort of stuff, because that's what these kids listen to in the, in the, in the piece. And uh, did you bring the old band back together f- for the uh, for this production? In terms of, like, the ensemble? Yeah. Yeah, so we had Sahil Saluja, who's a, a brilliant actor in our first season in Fringe. Um, he then had to go on and do some other projects. So we've had Deshaun Phillips uh, on board playing those roles. So it's at the moment, and we've had Ross, uh, Ross Daniels from the... From the beginning uh, of the of the, this this show, so myself, Ross, and Deshaun now make up the ensemble, and we we cover about eight characters between us. Um, I myself play three characters, um, so yeah, it's it it is it is a real sense of bringing the team back together. And by now, this is our fourth season, and it really is a sense of family, um, and it makes the work safer uh, to perform because there's that trust and commitment, and you know we lo- we love making this work um, despite how how kind of how difficult it can be or how difficult it is um but yeah it's it's um it's a it's an honor to work with um with committed collaborative artists who you know did this first show for for next to nothing you know we made it for nothing and and we've had the support of Susanna Day who's who's got us paid for the rest of the seasons and made sure that this you know this this gets the 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 um, the dignity of a professional kind of um, support, and it's and it's a real it's a real privilege. Mm. And what about uh, the role of art or theatre as opposed to you know reading a long form non fiction article on similar issues about you know dividing time between school court and family dramas? What 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 can you what are you bringing to this to the show that you you just can't get elsewhere? I think the I think the visceral, um, you know, the visceral embodied exchange between human beings in a live space um, is something that makes ideas um, land in your body and in your heart and um, kind of activates your whole being. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, you know, like theatre is hard, live performance is hard and it's, you know, it, it is difficult to, to make live theatre work and get ideas and arguments to land in the right way. Um, but I think that's its, that's its real kind of um, potential is, you know, I hope that if you see, if seeing good theatre should mean that you see the world differently afterwards in a way that, that you know, that's that's kind of unavoidable. And I think that we do a lot of reading of ideas and we do a lot of reading of, you know, some good journalism, some atrocious journalism. And it's and it, we do live in an age where there is an overabundance of information just kind of coming at us and it's easy to, like, look at it and kind of look away. But, I mean, I think I think that the, the, one of the roles of the true artist and the true poet is, is to not look away. And I think that as a theatre maker, what we're asking people to do is say, no, stay with this, don't look away, stay with this, and we're all going to stay with it with you because we're all in this room with you and we're not avoiding it either we're on stage bringing this to you and we want to share in in everything all the in 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 the tragedy in the sweat in the anger in the sadness and also in the awkward moments when some of the theater doesn't work that's the vulnerability of theater is being on on a stage when when stuff doesn't go that well and you just feel like um, oh well we're in it together still you know we've got to get through the rest of this show yeah well you're a week out how are you placed yeah, pretty good. We only got five day five day re rehearsal. Um, but yeah, people came to to rehearsal yesterday, like kind of really ready to go and with their lines r- super down. And um, yeah, I think I think I think we're going pretty well. Um, I mean, you know, don't want to speak too soon, don't want to jinx us, but um, 
I just trust our team and, and love our team and been really well supported at Art Centre. Um, so shout out to them and shout out to Urine Boy who've, who've, who've supported us along with Art Centre. Uh, Urine Boy opens Thursday night. What is it? So two nights, Urine Boy opens. Huge festival this year. Super exciting. Congratulations to the Urine Boy team. It's been a privilege to work with them and also working on another show in Urine Boy. So I don't know, the arts is really popping at the moment. So good to be back on live performance. So much good crew work, so much good um, First Nations work at the moment. Shout out to Birds, fella from the NT on that track was just on before. So get amongst it. There's no there's no, there's no, reason not to just um, absorb and consume so much new media and ideas and art and theatre. Great. Well said. Yes. <laughs> and subscribe to Triple R April Amnesty. Oh man, get on board. Triple R forever. Get your wallets out. Subscribe your dog. Subscribe your mum. Big House Dreaming. It's on a Fairfax studio, May 5 to 9. Go to artscentermelbourne.com.au for more details. It's part of the year and boy. We've been speaking to Declan Ferbergillick. That's the end of the show. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Um, told you a couple of weeks ago about a, um, I was getting the dogs out of the car and I accidentally, did I tell you about this, mm. how I opened the car door in someone else's car? That's right. Yeah. A little scratch. A little. Not insured. Yeah, she, I, I am. Yeah. She wasn't insured. Um, first car, pee plater, like very nervous about, you know, the whole thing. Didn't, obviously didn't want to scratch on a car. Um, but just didn't know the process and how it all works or whether, you know, anything needs to be done and all that. Should a pee plater have a new car? That's my question. Well, new new to her. I don't think it was a brand new car. I mean, it was certainly... I don't think they should just for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not if they'll panic about getting a scratch on it. Yeah, you need a crappy car for your first car. Yeah, Mm. get a crap car for your first car. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, so it was, but it was, you know, it was certainly within, it was only about a few years old, so maybe she might have been second owner, uh, first owner, a couple of years. Um, anyway, it looked shiny and new and stuff, um, and it was, she obviously, you know, really liked and appreciated her car, and um, so I was very worried about this scratch. And I, it, you know, said, was this like, Listen, it's totally fine. Like, just take it to, you can just, it's easily fixed. Just, you know, take it to like Kmart Auto and, you know, they can just paint over it or whatever. Mm. It's, you know, it's fine. No dent, just a scratch. Yeah, just a scratch. Um, And was just like, it'll be, you know, fine. And I'll pay for the, here's my number. You know, it'll be tried to, you know, because she was getting a bit, I was like, it's, these these things happen in the world. Don't worry about it. I, and I off I went to walk my dogs, and then um, that's an expensive walk, isn't it? Oh mate, <laughs> <laughs> the dogs appreciate it, mate. I can't even. I, I tell you what, like it. So um, t- so I found out about this thing that happens where um, because I, you know, she. It ended up. She ended up taking it to a body workshop place, and um, mm. they called me and they're like, "Yeah, there is a bit of a dent in there, so we need to replace this and that." So the ex, I had to pay the excess on my insurance, um, which is a substantial amount of money. Like, you know, I was just like, "Oh, so." Um, paid that and put the, you know, put the claim in and stuff. We're sort of, like, if I'm just paying the excess, then, mm. like, I was can kind of live with that. That's fine. And then um, then get a um, an email from my insurance, like, a week later or something saying, and it just terrified me because it was, like, um, just saying things like, if you get um, a, a letter from, you know, these solicitors then forward it to us and um, we've, you know, we'll pay all the legal costs, don't worry. And I was just like, what on earth is happening? Legal costs? Yeah, what is going on? 
And then they're like, you know, the insurance are like, you know, if there's any, you know, problems or whatever, just, you know, if you're unsure about anything, obviously give us a call. And I'm like straight on the phone. I'm like, well, who are these lawyers? Why is, who's calling a lawyer for a scratch on a car? Like what is going on? Um, and I called and the woman that I spoke to from the insurance company was so helpful and down to earth and it was just like oh like it's not often you get that well I find it's not often you get to talk to someone at a call center that are actually helpful (laughs) um uh but totally understanding and she was just like this is this is a thing that happens so quite often um you know body repair places um, and this is just what she said. I don't know if this is an actual thing or not. So if, you know, anyway, but she said quite often what happens is, is they, um, make it look bigger than what it is that, so they can get more work. So, um, so it was like, there probably wasn't a dent in the car. And she goes, you didn't get a photo of it all. Did you? I'm like, nah, I didn't think to like I just I wish I had of now to went yeah it's it's just it's fine it's just but they would have quite often they'll have like their own solicitors and stuff to kind of you know so it was basically the claim that they put in to my insurance they said oh so this has happened there's you know there's dint in the car we need to replace this and that and blah 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 and of course this much money and my insurance has gone nah mate that's bullshit mm. <laughs> that hasn't happened so we're not you know you can't claim we're not going to pay for that and so and apparently it's like a thing where they go oh we'll just try oh so bloody negotiating or mm. haggling yeah like, give me the price and so do you think the body shop people so they're it's unethical but are they like victimless crime it's an insurance company who gives a rats mm. yeah maybe it's a drop in the money. ocean yeah. yeah maybe but it terrified me and i just thought what is this was so nice to this young lady yeah, and why she's she, got but the she's got to yeah she's got nothing to, i thought yeah she had nothing to do when i found out that she had nothing to do with it i was just like uh, yeah the lawyers i was just like is she gone to a what 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 have I done to deserve? Like, how is this is this criminal now? Yeah, oh, I was so terrifying. But it was you know at the end of the day it was all like okay this is fine and hopefully and I haven't heard any more about it. Like the insurance was just like if you get letters please forward them on to us from you know and I haven't received anything and mm. it's been like over a week or something. So hopefully like it's all it's all just yeah. sorted out. Well, I suppose this is the last time you key your car. Yeah, it's put your kids away. Well, yeah. I think you know if you get that a rage. take a take a photo of it, like the, get get pictures. When this when this happened, you, you mentioned it to us off air, and you were saying it's just a little scratch. I don't know why she needs to go to insurance. And I thought of you on Sunday mm. because I was driving and I was um, about to cross over a level crossing with the boom gates. The boom gates are up, so fine to go. Yeah. And the car in front of me just kind of stops all of a sudden. Oh, and I was like, oh. And so, and obviously I stopped behind him and there's a church next to, this is in, in Thornbury, there's a, there's a church next to where the boom gates are and the bells were going up for Sunday. And this guy thought the church bells was the crossing alert. So he stopped and obviously the boom gates aren't moving. There's no lights flashing. It's a different sound. There's no train coming. So I just sort of flash my lights and nothing happened. So I give a little quick little toot. Yeah. He stays there. And then I toot again. And then there's two other cars who are now banked up toot him because then there's a, there's a street that he's blocking and he just stays. <gasps> and then I can see him kind of move, see his head moving around looking for a train and I'm like, there's no train, mate. No. And go, then I go, toot, go. toot the horn again and then I see he puts himself into reverse. <gasps> And I held my hand down on the horn, didn't take it off. I've never done that, just held it on. So then all these people outside the church start kind of looking around and I'm just holding the horn down and he just reverses straight into me. No! What? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, did you, how do you, did you not hear? (laughs) And I see the guy in the car behind me in my rearview mirror just puts his head in his hands (laughs) as he saw the whole thing happen. And I was like, you Oh, it was so incredulous. I'm like, how is this? And then he just doesn't even really react. He's just like, oh. And then like kind of, um, I'm tooting the horn and then these people are watching and he um, he just 
puts his car into park in the middle of the road. Again, boom gates are still What's up, happening? still could go, and gets out and kind of walks up to the train tracks and looks around. And I wind down my window and I'm like, mate, you just hit me. I was like, there is no train coming. Can you please, you need to pull over. We need to have a chat. Um, oh, like, angry man. <laughs> well, I think it was within my right. Yeah. And he just still was just like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me, you just hit me. Can you, you know, I was like, get in your car. And then he just was so, like, casual and just so confused and had no idea what was going on. Oh anyway, eventually God. one of the guys at the T intersection who'd seen it all gets out of his car and gives me a piece of paper with his number. He's like, look, I'm a witness. I saw it all. If you run into any trouble, you, you know, you did nothing yeah. wrong. And, anyway, and then we, we drive up the road and we pull over and I was just like, and he came, he, he's standing in front of my car. He goes, oh, there's no damage. I was like, let me be the judge of that, please. Like, can you step away so I can step out of the car? And there actually was hard, like, no damage. He did a dent in his car. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's existing. I was like, well, I see you've done this before. <laughs> and then I was just like, do you know what? I said, that noise, not a train. That's a church. If the train's coming, the gates will come down. I said, and like, do you understand that now? Like, are you, is this? He's like, oh, I just thought maybe there was a train. I was like, no, the gates will always close if there's a train. So I can't believe I'm teaching this guy what a boom gate is. <laughs> train's coming. <laughs> Now, this is the most terrifying thing that you've ever done. I thought there was a ghost in here. Melbourne's own Triple R. Back to breakfast is Laura Tubright Dunham and is this week's Friday Funny Bugger. Morning, Laura. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's been ages. It's been ages. Been a while. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to be back. What's up? Not much. (laughs) How how are you? (laughs) I'm good. Geraldine and I are in training uh, for our big run on Sunday. We're running 10 kilometres. Yep. For the memory walk and jog. How's the fundraising? uh, listen, it's it's verged into the fun territory now. <laughs> Everyone says that it happens, but running is fun now. Don't you reckon, Jess? Yeah, we had a good. We did a lap of the ten yesterday. Just one lap. We just this is one final little training session together. We'll just do one lap yeah. of the ten. Um, and it was we... quite monumental. It was like a little sign-off before the big day. Yeah, because it was like where it all. It's where we had our first run together. Oh, yeah. I think. Where we walked yeah. a lot of it. And I yeah. liked, um, you know, reaching points and thinking, this is where I used to stop and walk. Yeah, I thought that too yesterday. <laughs> oh, too, really? Mm. There was a little hill and I remember that was where we used to stop because we couldn't deal with the hill that you can actually barely see by the naked eye. But, <laughs> but we know it. Can we, I, now we actually go faster. Can I ask, do you start at the marker where they have all the records and all of that stuff or it doesn't matter if you start at the marker? And there's a timer there as well. We go past that because we're better than that. Oh, yeah. we, start, we start at the bottom of Anderson, the Anderson Street Hill. Yeah. And we walk up the Anderson Street Hill because there's no way on earth you're getting me to run that. Because there was a time when Geraldine tried to run up the Anderson Street Hill and a woman walking past her. So (laughs) it's more out of just protecting ourselves from humiliation than anything else. It is. We broke our record yesterday for doing a lap of the 10 and that included walking up the hill. So it's actually, it's quicker for us to walk up. And it's better to go that way because if you go, down the hill, it's actually a slight incline. I did it? that the other once. direction. I did that once. We're Horrible. not doing the other way. Yeah, ever. <laughs> you know, what's what? Now, listen, guys, I'm not here to talk about fun running. Um, I'm actually not here for fun at all. Mm. I'm here under an official capacity. Um, what is my official role here at Triple R? You, you are our royal correspondent, our official royal correspondent. That's right. Mm. That's right. So I'm here as the Triple R Royal Correspondent. And do you know, I looked it up. It's been over a year since I provided the Triple R listeners with a royal update. Oh, and a lot, so a lot's happened. happened. Yeah. Oh, 
I'll tell you what. There have been many letters and messages and emails. People yes. are screaming out for an update on the Royals. I thought they might have been. Mm. You know, I thought maybe annually is probably enough. That <laughs> we probably don't need to hear any more about them than just once a year. But <clears throat> I did think I'm the best one to do it. So here I am to provide a royal update with what's been going on. Now, listen, um, Mon, I didn't give you any time to do this, but um, just in the future, you know, mm. if, if you're ever here when I do a royal update again, um if you ever want to put any kind of like British music behind oh, no. like an intro or, you know, you don't have to do it now, but okay. um, just saying it like. <laughs> and then maybe Daniel, you know, if you ever wanted to say, you know, joining us today is the Triple R Royal Update with our Royal Correspondent, Laura Dunman. You yep. know, I, I wouldn't be. Like, I'd be a bit embarrassed because um, I don't really like attention on myself. But <laughs> if you want, I, I'd be okay with that. That'd be fine. Probably make it, you know, official or whatever. But I just want to point out that it's pretty lucky that you guys get me, like that you guys have a royal correspondent anyway. And that's something really beautiful about community radio, mm. um, commercial <laughs> radio. What commercial radio station has a royal correspondent? So if anything, it's just a little... Um, reminder for you guys to um, to please subscribe to Triple R because it is April Amnesty, isn't it? That's mm. right. Yeah. So if you want to keep the royal correspondence <laughs> going, um, then you know join in and and um, subscribe for April Amnesty. But enough of that. Um, we have missed a lot. They've been naughty, haven't they? The royals. I'm going to keep this going. Yeah. yeah. What have they been doing? Have oh, you got music going? Yeah. Can you hear it? Oh, I can, oh, that's brilliant. Yes, oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's that? Some, some church hymn, Graham. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so they're, they're sick puppies, the royal family. They're in trouble and a lot of shit's gone down, hasn't it? So what I thought I might do is a little bit different for the royal update. I'm going to hand it over to you guys. And you can just throw a royal at me and I will tell you what's been going on with them this okay. year. How, how deep can we go? Beatrice? You can go Beatrice, even though I don't think that's how you say her now. How do you say it? <laughs> Sounds like Beatrice. Oh, how would you say it? Beatrice. Beat- Beatrice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Laura was disgusted. <laughs> Get it right. That's the first lesson of royal correspondency. Um, Beatrice um, has been taking up calligraphy lessons, Daniel. Wow. Yeah, because her father is a dirty, sick dog. (laughs) Jail. So often that's what you do when you have a father that's as problematic as he is. You take up. A hobby that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. so there's go. Anyone else? Um, what about who's the fourth one? Edward. Yes. <laughs> I knew exactly who you meant. He has purchased a four wheel motorbike because he feels um, this year he sort of felt a bit insignificant in the face of a lot of drama. So you know, what better way to regain your masculinity than to buy a four-wheel motorbike and hoon around on your estate? That's amazing. We've heard a lot of Prince Charles and all of that, but I'm wondering how Camilla's going. Um, Camilla has actually had a bit of success recently. Um, she's been working really hard uh, to finally dislodge the pole that's been stuck up her ass for about seven years. And she got it out. Oh. Yay. Yes. And, um, no, I, I, I should, that wasn't very nice of me. That wasn't a very nice thing to say. I actually should say I quite like Camilla. She's one of my favourites. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. And no joke there. I just like her. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really know where to go with that. She's and good. And then um, what about Lizzie? Lizzie, she's lonely because Prince Philip finally died. Yeah. Did, 
So we all saw the pictures of her at the funeral, didn't we? She, she had to sit so on her own. What did, what did you make sad. of her having to sit on her own? Well, coronavirus. So oh, is that why? Glad we've got think... you here to let us know. <laughs> Glad we've got you here to let us know the hot. Yeah. Facts. Well, I think that was the only. I think that was why she was sitting on her own. But also, wasn't it so sad? So yeah. sad. And then it was her birthday the other day. I know it was her birthday, and her dog of a grandson, Prince Harry, had already <laughs> flown back to LA. Didn't mm. even stay for her birthday. Oh. Um, Princess Anne. Princess Anne has bought another pair of wraparound sunglasses <laughs> to add to her collection, which is pretty mammoth. Um, but also, juicy Prince Anne has been named Prince the royal. Anne. Princess Anne, I should yeah. say. She got named as the royal who said the, the racist thing. Did you Is hear about that? that? Right, it oh. was from the Oprah interview. From the Oprah, Oprah bombshell grenade that Harry and Meghan threw. One of the biggest claims that they made was that a member of the royal family, a significant member of the royal family, had said something quite racist, and it turns out it's her. Wow. So saying insiders. She was, I, had her, I had her on side. She was one of my favourites, probably because of the sunglasses, but, you know, <laughs> there's no excuse. Did she do equestrian or was that it? A... Yeah, she, she's, she's deep into the horses. <laughs> <laughs> she's deep into the horses, the ones that jump. Yeah. And her daughter Zara has been in the Olympics. That's right. Oh. She's a gold medalist, I think, isn't she? Uh, yeah, I think so. maybe silver. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I should know. How are um, Kate Middleton and Prince Louis and all of that going? Going strong as ever. <laughs> the I've not got a bad word to say about them. Although <laughs> Kate, um, Kate got thrown under the bus about the um, the little girl's tights. Did you guys read about this? No, no, no mate. <laughs> <laughs> Of course you didn't. Um, so <laughs> apparently apparently there was a fight before Harry and Meghan's wedding about whether the little flower girls wore tights or oh, not. Oh, that's right. And it was, yeah, Daniel knows. And it was reported that Meghan made Kate cry about mm. it, right? Mm. But then in the Oprah interview, Meghan said, Actually, it was the other way around and Kate made me cry. But it's all okay because she bought me flowers and she apologised, which I just think is the biggest red raw dogging you can (laughs) (laughs) perpetrate to another. Like, that's so (gasps) passive aggressive. (laughs) Don't say, oh, it's all good now, but really she's the, you know. What about about Harry? What about Gail King's? Uh, inserting herself into the. I tell you what, Daniel, you are your tough competition here. You could be the triple R. It's been so long. He's he's had to compensate for your absence. He's been researching every day. (laughs) Um, Harry um, has been, they got chooks. Did you see the Oprah interview? They got chooks. So similar to, um, to Beatrix, um, Taking up calligraphy, he's been he's been tending to his chooks because he's got a lot going on in his life yeah. right now. He's torn and he's at war with his brother. So yeah. you know, who was the cousin that was in between them in the procession? That was Philip. Uh, Philip? No, what's his name? Philip Phillips. Um, <laughs> Philip. Old screwdriver. <laughs> Royals that doesn't have a title. Yeah, okay. oh, so they just call them Philip. <laughs> Phillips. <laughs> all no, I think Phillips, you're right. right. It's Peter Phillips. It's oh, Peter Phillips. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be. Second, I mean, he's got the personality of someone that would be called Philip Phillips. But um, that was Peter Phillips, and you couldn't get a better just non-royal royal, royal <laughs> to wedge in between them, could you? <laughs> 
So he is Prince and Princess Anne's son. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's meaningless. He's a pawn. Well, I tell you what. You know who's who's not meaningless? You, our royal correspondent, Laura Dunneman. Guys, thanks very much. Thank you. Any any final words about you know getting people to subscribe or anything? Um, just do it really because um, I think everybody appreciated last year. You know how valuable community radio was when we were stuck at home. People were a lot more connected to the community, but also particularly Triple R and what it provides. Nothing's really changed, and the only way that um, community radio can continue is if people subscribe and people continue to be a part of it. So um, I love coming on air. Um, I love my official role as the Triple R Royal Correspondent. Um, I feel very honoured to provide the royal news for you all. Um and I just love Triple R. So, yeah, if I can employ anyone to, to subscribe for April Amnesty, then then please do. RRR.org.au. Laura Dunneman, thanks so much and good luck on the weekend. For what? A big run. Oh. No royals this time. <laughs> I've got to get in the zone. <laughs> Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.